This is the Make America Grape Again podcast, produced and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. In this podcast, we explore wines from all 50 states in the United States of America. Hello, gang. Well, it was awfully chummy. Eh, we'll stick with it. Hi, gang. Welcome to another episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast. I'm your host, Cody Vladimir Burkett, CSW. And I'm Elizabeth Krecker. And she's a psalm. <laughs> uh, today we're going to go full Monty. Um, no, not like that. No one wants to see that. Probably. Um, what we're going to be talking about is a grape varietal called Multipulciano. Not to be confused with the town in Italy called Multipulciano. Because Italy is weird. Uh, today, we're going to be starting off with an Italian Multipulciano, and then we're going to be going into a deep dive, uh, sort of into Arizona Multipulciano, uh, but we'll get there, talk about those vintages when we get there. Um, so we're going to start off with the Barba, Barba Ivasari Old Vines, I'm sorry, the Barba Ivasari Old Vines. Multipulciano, this is from the Multipulciano D'Abruzzo DOC. Now, uh, what's a DOC? I can never pronounce it in the foreign language that it's in, but what it is is it's basically equivalent to an appellation. So it's the name of a wine region that's applied to those wines that are made from grapes grown. The majority of the grapes are grown in that region. No, it's DOCG that goes through the tasting run and the, the tasting panel. Or does DOC do it as well? I can't remember. Boy, I'd have to really dig into the nuance. I think eh. there's a, the G stands for garantita, which basically means guaranteed. So that's the difference. So it's a higher level. There's different requirements. They need to be aged a little longer. And guaranteed us suggests a tasting panel rather than anything else. Could be. So the back of this label, um, again, very simple. Ivasari, Old Vines, Montepulciano di Abruzzo, Denominazione di Orgione Controllata, which I'm butchered, but, you know, whatever. Um, I'm pretty sure I'll be safe in the mafia here. Uh, tasting notes, variant. I, you know, I'm not going to read because this is all tasting notes. I'm not going to read it, because we're going to be giving you the tasting notes. <laughs> so, yeah, because that's how we freaking roll on this podcast. Uh, I may have had a glass or two. And I'm taking pictures for our fearless uh, friend, Megan. Alrighty, so let's go down the grid with this guy again. Okay, we're actually using a different grid. Ooh. On this, this. Um, so the first grid we used is the grid that we use when we're we're studying to take, and then when we actually take the certified SOM exam. Okay. And there's three parts to the certified SOM exam. You have to perform service, and there's a whole structure for that. You have to take a test, which is all about wine regions from all over the all over the world. And then you have to um, do a tasting, and you taste four wines, two whites and two reds, and you have to 
at least come close to the correct grape varietal, the year, and the um, country of origin in that exam. So the advanced exam is a step up. <laughs> How is it a step up? It's a big step up. So it's sort of like getting a fellowship after you've gotten your PhD. I mean, it's a really big step up. So you, in, in this one, you, you perform basically the same functions. You take a test and then you have to do service, but there's a lot more to the service than there is in the certified exam. And then you also do a tasting of six wines in about half the time. <laughs> and on those six wines, you need to correctly guess the varietal, the year, not a range, but the year, um, the country of origin, the appellation of origin. So definitely a step up. It's definitely more difficult. And it's a, like, I think they make the passing rate of the certified exam, exam certified SOM exam around 60%, between 60 and 70 is usually what it is. The um, advanced, much higher, you got to achieve a much higher goal. Sort of like the difference between getting your bachelor's degree and your um, master's degree. Your master's degree, you got to get a B or more average, whereas the bachelor's degree, you could get a C or better average. It's sort of like the same educational difference. So, but it's a lot harder to guess exactly the year and exactly the grape. And there's a lot more grapes you have to choose from too. So there's a lot more grapes it could be. So it's a much, much tougher exam. I'm fortunate to have passed the certified exam. It took me two tries, which is, I mean, I never flunk an exam. <sighs> How could I not have passed it? But it takes most people two tries, which was some comfort. Um, and, but the advanced is much tougher. Often people, often people, even just to take the advanced, you kind of have to apply to take the advanced. And you may be the perfect candidate, but you may not get in. You just, for whatever reason, there were 150 other people that got in and it wasn't you. So it's really a much, much bigger hill to climb. Um, I'm following that path right now. It's hard to know how long I'll follow it because unfortunately with COVID, there's no, I'm not actually behaving like a psalm because there's really nothing happening in the psalm world. There's yeah. not those groups of people getting together where you can share wine. It's unfortunate. It is what it is. So I've kind of wandered into the winemaking world. I'm totally loving it. And that may be my new path. So we'll see. We'll see where COVID takes us. <laughs> All right. And that's kind of the short version. So the grid we're going to use for this tasting is actually the grid you use for the advanced exam. It's a much more complex grid. Again, everything is a step up. So, whereas, for example, the first grid we worked on, the certified grid, really all you had to tell is what's the color of the wine. This one, it, what, what's the clarity? What's the brightness? What's the concentration? What's the color? What's the hue? What's the secondary hue? What's the rim variation? I mean, there's so much more. And we're just talking about sight. Same thing with nose and palate and, and your conclusion. So we're gonna jump right in with the first one, which is sight. This is a red wine. It's clear, day bright. You can see through it. So what does the term day bright mean? Can you see through it? Okay. Yeah. And I'm not, I've been told what the correct term is, but honestly, I don't like it, but I always just say opaque for a wine that you can't see through. For example, um, a Shiraz from Australia, you usually can't see through it. So I would call that opaque. 
It's got a beautiful rim, kind of a raspberry rim. I'd say purple in color. It's really red purple technically, but it's purple in color. There's no um, extract, plenty of viscosity, long elegant legs, lots of long elegant legs. So I'd almost say this is a little higher in alcohol than some of the other wines. I mean, I don't know, I haven't looked at the label, but just just looking at surprisingly no it's 13.5 well that's that's i mean it's not it's not low you know but uh one of the wines that we did in our previous podcast was 15 i think yeah no sign of gas or sediment so that's all the things you have to look at and what is gas and what is sediment well for example a sparkling wine will have gas I mean, that didn't come out right. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, a sparkling wine has bubbles in it, and that's what's called gas in the Samoa when you're trying to determine the wine. So, and the sediment would be, are you looking at the bottom of the wine glass? Is there anything floating around in there? I mean, sometimes it just happens. You got a, uh, your glass came from the bottom of the bottle, and there could be a little sediment in that bottle. It could be just kind of leftover, I don't know. And to be fair, a lot of reds do deposit sediment as yeah, they age. Yeah, it just is what it is. It doesn't necessarily make it bad. It's just there. So it's really more just a comment on what's there. And you're more likely to find sediment in an old world wine because they tend not to be filtered as, as diligently as new world wines are. A filtering, unfortunately, takes flavor out of the wine. Who wants that, right? But it's a good idea to filter and not have sediment in there that could cause the wine to have problems as it ages or to have annoying consumers go what's this in my glass well there's that too sorry based on personal experience (laughs) there's a little of that (laughs) so anyway so that's appearance that's the first section we call it sight okay that's the first section of the grid the second section of the grid is is nose so the first thing you want to tell is it clean or faulty so, um, the episode that I recorded on wine faults may or may not be posted before this, because um, we drank a very faulty wine from Kansas that was full of brett and had undergone some weird stuff. And so we decided, well, this is a great one to talk about wine faults. <laughs> and that one was recorded with James Callahan, actually. Oh, that would be really interesting. But, uh, so obviously there are different wine faults and different wine faults have different aromas on the nose. There's geranium, there's brett, there's, of course, corking, um, SO2, reduction, but reduction is not necessarily a flaw. It's just a, it can be, but it cannot be. It depends on who you ask. Vinegar, Vinegar. nail polish remover. That's one yeah. of my favorites. Nail polish remover, the acetone, and there's a sixth, I thought. Uh that could be wrong. Well, there's H2S. I thought I said hydrogen sulfide, but maybe I didn't. Well, yeah, you did. You're right. I'm sorry. Um, I think you pretty much got them all. Okay. Oh, TCA. How could you forget TCA? Well, oh, that's corking. Corking. Yeah. So okay. TCA is a long, complicated, unpronounceable molecule, which is why it's called TCA. Or cork. Or corking. <laughs> Although it's not necessarily, as, it may not necessarily be associated with a cork in a bottle. It could have been in the barrel. It but, could have been in the barrel or in the bottling line. But for whatever reason, that's the name that we attach to that yeah. aroma. And that one's easy because uh, 
It smells like wet newspaper or wet dog. Yeah, it's just kind of musty. Yeah. Icky. So. I would say that this is clean, no flaws. I would too. It's, um, so the age. Younger. Yeah. But not young, young. Yeah. So we would call that developing. So it's not an old wine. You know, it's not fully aged. And it's not a youthful wine. It's developing. And we're going to be exploring an aged wine and a youthful wine in our next two vintages. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, this one's kind of in the middle. So this one's 2015. Um, the next one we taste is 2013. I'm sorry, 2017. So it's a newer wine. And then the last one we're going to taste is 2013. So it's the oldest of the wines that we're tasting. So, and then um, aroma intensity, delicate, moderate, powerful. Moderate. Yeah, it's not delicate. It's, it's not, not delicate, and it's not as powerful as say that very first Barbera that we drank yeah. earlier. Yeah. Where that was just like in your face. Yeah. So it's a beautiful aroma, though. I mean, a lot of really nice flavors come from it. So next up is the flavors. So it's the fruit condition and the fruit. And then the non-fruit, and, and that also includes the condition of the non-fruit aromas. I would say ripe fruit. I would say blackberry, black cherry. So I would say ripe, but I also think that there's a little baked fruit kind of rippling underneath that ripeness. Like maybe a piece of cherry pie, so cherry that's been baked a little bit. Okay. And um, let's see. So you tasted red fruit first. Is that what I'm tasting first? Yeah, definitely. This is definitely all about red fruit. Red cherry. Really, lots of red cherry. Those, that flavor really comes strongly in this glass, which is interesting because it's 2015, so it's not like it's a brand new wine. And so you wouldn't, like the first wines we were tasting, the Barbera, didn't have nearly the fruit aromas of this particular wine. We'll see if the other two have those same fruit aromas. I know this is also going to sound weird, and I don't know where to put this, whether it's non-fruit or fruit, but almost like olives and brine. Yeah. That, that's non-fruit. Okay. That's considered non-fruit. Even though an olive is technically a fruit. Yeah, but it's still... Botanically. We call it non-fruit. Okay. Yeah, it's actually really a good It's like call. a tomato being called a vegetable, even though it's not technically biologically a vegetable. <laughs> now, do you get many herbal aromas? Not as many as I was expecting. I mean, there's a little bit of, like, a violet iris thing going on. Definitely some dried herbs. Maybe maybe bay leaf or tarragon. And then that olive tapenade. Well, not really olive tapenade, but uh, it's olives. Yeah. Yeah, almost like just straight olives. Just take Like a... straight Castle Beltrano olives. Yeah. Like high-quality Castle Beltrano olives. Like the olives that you would spend like $20 a jar on. <laughs> so, and I get some nice minerality, but it's definitely hard, like rock minerality. Dusty earth kind of. My immediate thought is sandstone. But I don't know what the geology of Abruzzo is. I'm going to look that up really quick. Yeah, my immediate thought is granite. I wanted to say that before you told me what the geology is in case I'm all wrong. 
But I mean, that's what it makes me. It, tastes, it could be granite. It could be. It's it kind, could be sandstone. It's kind of like a hard stone. Is yeah. The point. Yeah. The point is, it's not graphite. It's not clay. It's not. Dusty it's not or, schist mm-hmm. or flint. It's. It's delicious. I keep saying that when, before I've tasted it. So hopefully, I feel the same way when I taste it. And what would you say about the age of this wine? Like just from the flavor, not from what you already know it as. Well, from the aroma, again, I haven't tasted it yet. Yeah. Okay. All right. That was probably too deep of a question. So ready for the, ready to move on to the palate? Oh, deep. Oh, oh, before we move on to the palate, forgive me, oak. Limited. Yeah, but there's definitely a little in there. There is. Like maybe 10%, 20%. That's a whole, oh, that's going to require me to join something. No, we're not going <laughs> to. That's another abstract. Okay, fine. A geology of multiple Chiano de fruit. Ah! From a geological point of view, the region almost completely consists of sedimentary rocks. In the west, the mountains of Abruzzo are primarily composed of limestone, so we were both off in terms of the rock formation, uh, formed in a marine environment during the Pliocene and early Pleistocene. Okay, so we were both wrong on our sample, yeah. on our yeah. I don't. I wouldn't have expected this to, to be on limestone, but uh, so it goes. Wait until you taste it. Mm. Well, that's a completely different palette, isn't it? Fruit structure than I was than on the nose. It's like blackberry, mulberry. I'm black not, cherry. I'm not so much getting black fruit as I am getting sour fruit. Like, yeah. Like to me, that's sour cherry. Now it's got a lot of fruit. I mean, this is much more, much stronger fruit flavor. Ah, I keep stumbling over my words. Forgive me. That's okay. Much stronger fruit flavors than the um, Barbera that we tasted earlier. And not only that, much stronger fruit flavors than were on the aroma as well yeah yeah and this is an old world wine so it's really got a lot of delicious flavor so the barbera was a great pairing wine this wine and this is the italian wine remember this is the old world wine which you don't normally think of being as like a cocktail wine this is wine you could definitely drink by itself or or cigar pairing yeah i mean you more could, than food or like something simple like a plain cracker you know <laughs> So, I mean, I think this would taste really good with food as well. But it also tastes really just dandy on its own, which is so interesting to me. That's I wouldn't have expected that. So definitely the sour, sour cherry. I'm still going to say bilberry. I can't say I've ever tasted a bilberry, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> but Bilberries are like sour blueberries. Yeah. But a little bit lighter. 
uh, based on my experience. I think that'd be a good, excuse me, a good call then. Uh, and that fruit is definitely up front too. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is a little lower in a city than any of the Barberas we tasted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sorry, we need to go by the we need to go by the grid. Yes, no, you're right though. That's a good comparison. So what's uh, the, and the tannin isn't particularly strong though. I mean, I wouldn't call this even maybe moder maybe moderate barely barely moderate. Yeah, moderate minus. So how does the grid work for taste? Well, really, the idea on the tasting is to confirm what you smelled and add anything new. So okay. like in this case, for example, you know, we smelled a lot of ripe fruit flavors, but what I'm tasting is sour fruit flavors. The fruits are the same, but the quality of the fruits, the condition of the fruits very different. And I think the interesting thing to me is that it's more of a quality of New World wines for the fruit to be exactly the same on the palate as they are in the nose. Old World wines, there's often differences. Yeah. This is a very New World take and for the Old World. It really is. And that could have something to do with climate change. It could also be style and market because, remember, you know, where did you get this bottle? Total Wine. Total Wine. What is the main market? I'm so sorry. I'm apology, folks. I didn't mean to bump the mic. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Total Wine is a different market than most bottle shops because it's people who may not necessarily know much about wine, so they'll want something more like what they're used to. Consumer friendly. Consumer friendly, yeah. That's, that's the... true, but it also is true that climate change is really influencing how grapes are growing. Are they're true. growing in a warmer climate than they were before, so those fruit flavors are coming out because the United States is, generally speaking, a warmer climate, climate than Europe. So, generally speaking, the United States wines are going to be more fruit forward. Yeah, the herbaceousness is really not there on the palate. Mm -mm, not at all. It doesn't have as nearly as many non-fruit flavors in general. The olives are not there. The bay leaf is there barely. It's a much softer wine. It's very delicious, though. I would be very happy to bring this wine to dinner for a meal of veal or gnocchi or... Actually, veal gnocchi would probably be a really good pairing for this. Yeah. We're kind of jumping ahead on the pairing. Sorry. Oh, that's all right. That was my grid, mistake. The grid! I was the one that jumped ahead, and I was the one that's totally the one that's not supposed to. But, so back to the grid. So we're going to confirm the fruit and the non-fruit, and also the fact that the fruit condition really changed from the nose to the palate. Yeah. And the non-fruit wasn't nearly as prominent on the palate as it was on the nose. But I would say the minerality is the same quality. Yeah. And I'm definitely getting a sense that there's some new oak, but not a lot. So maybe 10%, 10 percent, ten to fifteen percent, something like that. Yeah, twenty percent of most. Yeah. I would say French oak. It's not American oak. Yeah, I agree. It's kind uh, of... American oak would have that sort of dill, coconut, 
cedar character. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely vanilla Cinnamon. sandalwood. Yeah, sandalwood. Yeah. So um, I think that if I was tasting this in a blind tasting, not that you would ever taste Montepulciano in a blind tasting, but if I was tasting in a blind tasting, I might even suspect that this was a New World wine. Yeah. Because it really has a lot of qualities, for example, of Arizona wine. We haven't even tasted the two Arizona Montepulcianos, but it's got a lot of qualities of like an Arizona wine. Really similar. Yeah, actually, this reminds me of what I remember our next wine tasting like wonderful and um we jumped right into the pairings a little ahead of time (laughs) but that's okay (laughs) and actually pairings aren't part of the um tasting process because you're supposed to talk about that a lot more when you do the service test Mm -hmm. but because i can't help myself i'm always thinking about pairings again i'm back to that veal and gnocchi kind of more um not as savory as like a pasta dish yeah more of a um but a little little meatiness to it but not a powerful meat dish not like beef or yeah or even pork chop a little lighter meat like veal veal piccata maybe here's a question that you probably can't answer and even if you could answer you're probably going to answer on a recording um is it Hold on while I figure out how I'm wording this question. The wines in the service part of the exam, are they the same wines that are in the blind tasting? Nope. Okay. And you have no idea what food, what they're, what they'll do in the service part of the exam is they'll say, you know, we have three people at this table and, you know, this person kind of like what we described earlier this person's having swordfish and this person's having veal and this person's having chicken what would you pair with that you might say montepulciano now and every exam is different um they might say this person's having shrimp and this person person's having steak what would you pair with that oh god i know like at least we were kind of in the same neighborhood with the swordfish and the, again my immediate thought is an amber wine because amber wines are a good catch-all yeah, that would or, be good. Or Sangiovese. You know what else would be a good one? Sparkling wine. Oh, yeah, champagne. Champagne goes with everything. you have champagne with either one. Yep. So it really just depends on what they ask you. And even when you go into the exam, so you might be taking the exam with, say, 30 other people. They all, all the all the, the master psalms that are giving the exam, they have this huge sheet in front of them. And they can ask you any question on that sheet. So they might ask me a question where I would, the perfect pairing might be a Chardonnay, for example. They might ask you a question where the perfect pairing might be an orange wine or a champagne. And you just have no idea what they're going to ask you. My understanding is that most Psalms seem to poo-poo the idea of orange wine. Wrongly. So probably it's safer answer to go with champagne. Yeah, and it's not so much... I, I... Which is a real champagne to deal with. Uh, t- <laughs> har har. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I would say... I, to tell you the truth, the Psalms that I know from this program, they would never poo-poo anything because this program is so freaking hard. And just to get through it, like just to actually get through it, even if you fail, just to actually get through it itself is an accomplishment. And so the Psalms that I've met, even ones that are much higher level Psalms than I am, are so gracious and so kind. And, you know, whatever goofball thing you say, it's perfect as far as they're concerned, you know?
Speaking of, I remember this being good when I bought a bottle. <laughs> so I got the 2017 Chateau Tumbleweed. Multiple Chiana. Now, Chateau Tumbleweed is honestly one of my favorite wineries in the entire state of Arizona. Uh, the winemaker for this wine is Joe Bouchard. Uh, pretty humble guy. He used to be a, a winemaker for Caduceus as well. Uh, or assistant winemaker for Caduceus, I should say. And actually an assistant in Alcantara, come to think of it. Oh. So this label, the labels for Chateau Tumbleweed, I love to describe as reverse mullets. So it's a party in the front. In this case, we got a, a guy with a tumbleweed head sitting on a chair playing a fiddle. And then the back is every single geeky tech detail that you would want to know. Basically, the bottle is the tech sheet, <laughs> which is fantastic. So this is the 2017 Cimarron Vineyard Multipulciano from the Wilcox AVA, sourced from Cimarron Vineyard in Cochise County. It is 100% Multipulciano, harvested on September 1st at 24.5 ricks. Uh, destemmed but not crushed to an open top 1.5 ton bin. The lot was left 20%, approximately 20% whole cluster. Cold soaked for 24 hours, then fermented with specially selected yeasts. This was hand punched three to four times daily and pressed at dryness after nine days of skin contact. A malactic fermentation was induced and then it was settled two days before barreling. Uh, aged 11 months and 50% two-year-old French oak. Twice racked, filtered, but unfined. Uh, TA, so total acidity, 5.9 grams per liter. pH is 3.81. 48 cases produced, so basically two barrels. Really a treat. I think one of the interesting thing about the partnership that Chateau, that is Chateau Tumbleweed is it's two couples. Each one has a role. So one of the, one of the, um, so two wives and two husbands, of course, not mixed up i mean two separate couples <laughs> and um but one of the wives is um she's the accountant so mm -hmm. she so by golly she's really talented by golly their numbers are correct and so she keeps them on task and on board with you know kind of making sure everything's right her husband is the guy who finds the grapes now, Chateau Tumbleweed doesn't own any vineyard property, not so much as half an acre. They don't own any vineyards at all. So they have to buy their grapes. In Arizona, that is not easy. Um, there's lots of grapes for sale in California. There's hardly any for sale in Arizona. So his whole job is to create the relationships that help them get quality grapes each year to make wine from. That's his whole job. Um, the other couple is... Um, the husband is Joe Bouchard. He's the winemaker, so that's his whole job. And the wife basically does all the marketing and all and the, the business and the label design. She does the beautiful label design. She's actually a really great illustrator. Her labels are so charming. So she does all the marketing, manages the tasting room, that kind of stuff. And so all three are really talented. All three express their unique talents in their own way. They all come from really interesting backgrounds, too. Um, you know, from technology to filmmaking and everything in between, journalism, you know, really interesting backgrounds. And honestly, they couldn't be more charming than anyone I've met in the Arizona wine industry. There's a lot of charming people in the wine industry. They're all three just charming and fun and, you know, really enjoyable to be around. They're just wonderful people. 
They really are. I, I love them. Uh, they're fantastic people. Really great to be around. Uh, I'm trying to get them in on an episode of this to do a Graciano deep dive. Oh, that would be fun because um, they really know all the Graciano. Graciano deep dive slash vertical. Yeah. Because I have almost every vintage of their Graciano mm -hmm. so far because it's such a phenomenal wine. And with four people plus me in a room, <laughs> we can get through six bottles. <laughs> From top to bottom. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to jump in. Definitely a red wine. No question about that. Yeah. Purple in color. This is would... definitely young. Yeah. That hue is much brighter. Really no rim variation. I mean, it really just goes from light purple to dark purple. But it's still a beautiful color. <laughs> Um, it's clear, no sign of sediment or gas. You know, there's an ever so slight, when you hold it up high to the light, there's an ever so slight kind of garnet on the rim. Yeah. Which is sort of interesting. But when you tilt your glass over a piece of white paper, for example, there's none of that. It could just be the effect of the sunlight. <clears throat> it is getting a little later in the day, so we're kind of starting to edge towards those sunset colors. So before we taste this, I don't think I've read about the Montepulciano to y'all. Nope. Why don't we jump into that? So we just tasted one Montepulciano. So it's got a lot of synonyms, including oddly Sangiovese, because people used to mix the two up. So the reason why it was often mixed up is that there's the region in Tuscany called Multipulciano, where you have Vino Nobile de Multipulciano, which is made from Prunello Gentile, which is basically Sangiovese. It's a different clone of Sangiovese. And then you have the grape, Multipulciano, which comes from the Bruzzo in southern Italy. Mm -hmm. Anyway, sorry, continue. No, that's okay. And there's also a DOC and a DOCG called Montepulciano di Abruzzo. Actually, the DOCG is technically Montepulciano di Abruzzo Collini Terramami. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> so, yeah, and there's actually a big controversy because apparently the European re Union recently came through and said, no, you can only have one. Well, of course, you know, Nobile di Montepulciano are like, hey, that's the name of our region. We're not going to call it something else. And yeah. Montepulciano di Abruzzo is going to say, that's the name of our grape. We're not going to call it something else. <laughs> yeah, so I wonder what's going to happen there. I know. It'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. What are some of the other synonyms? Maybe there's another great name for it. Africano. That makes no sense, but okay. This is even worse, though. Angolano. That doesn't even have a ring to it. Um, Sangiovese, which makes zero sense. <laughs> this one kind of makes sense, but I don't know if I want it on my label because it doesn't sound familiar. Uva Abruzzese, basically grape from the Abruzzo. grape of Abruzzo, yeah. Yeah, and Violone, which is a pretty name. Ah! There is so much commotion to coming up with a name, though. Because you got to find the name that the TTB agrees with, and that they you spell it the same way they like it. And anyway, it's just not easy. It's enough to give you a headache. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about Montepulciano. 
although this variety's name refers to the Mont well, we just talked about this, refers to the Montepulciano region in the province of Siena in Tuscany, its origin is more likely to be in Abruzzo. But we don't really know. Um, it's a high-yielding grape, late ripening. It's got good resistance to bunch rot and downy mildew, hmm. which is always a fine quality in a grape. It's considered a workhorse grape. It's planted all over central Italy, Italy alongside Sangiovese. It's um, most well-known and often best value manifestation is Montepulciano di Abruzzo DOC, as we just tasted. Um, there is a more specific DOCG, as we talked about, too, in the hills around Taramo in the northern part of Abruzzo. And it has aspired to higher quality, but it hasn't necessarily achieved it yet. So one of these days we'll have to try one of those and see if, see if it's gotten there. Um, the best wines are deeply colored with ripe, robust tannins, although I'm not getting a lot of tannin on either of these two wines, making them an ideal blending component with softer wines. Um, a wide variety of California producers from Paso Robles to Lodi. It's also planted in Australia, New Zealand, and Malta. I'm sorry, New Zealand has Montepulciano? New Zealand has Montepulciano. That I did not know. Who knew? And Malta. Malta makes sense because it's <clears throat> kind of perched there in the middle. I also seem to vaguely remember that Malta has a specific indigenous grape varietal. But I can't remember what it is. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have a lot. It says here it only has 15 acres. So it's not like it's a ton of malt. Of course, Malta's not very big. So yeah. how much could it have? But um, anyway, I think it's a really fun varietal. It's got a beautiful name, too. So, And this wine, of course, is from Chateau Tumbleweed. And it's grown in the Cimarron Vineyard, which is in Wilcox, AVA. So one of the things we're going to do, too, is taste the difference between Wilcox and Sonoida. Because our second wine is grown in Sonoida. But we're not tasting the second wine. We're tasting this wine. We are tasting the second wine. Oh, I'm sorry. The third wine. Forgive me. I it's okay. I had a, a wrong <laughs> order. <laughs> well, it's probably because, you know, we've got the bottles sitting in front of us. Yeah. Not necessarily in the order that we're drinking them in. So that's my mistake for not remembering that. Lots of oak influence. You know, and the other thing that's really interesting about this, though, is the aromas are very similar to the Italian Montepulciano that we just tasted. Except Lots. higher on the oak. Yeah. Lots of red cherry, though. Lots of red cherry. It seems like more alcohol. I'm almost smelling the alcohol. Yeah, I think this is higher. This is 14.1. This is 13.5. Yeah, so a little higher. Oops. Getting a wind gust. Yeah. So forgive us while we chase around and pick things up off the ground. So if it gets much higher, we may have to uh, pause this and go inside. Uh, I'm also not getting as many non fruit aromas. How about you? Uh, give me a second. I've got Sorry, folks, we're trying to rescue. <laughs> the wind is taking away our, our little... Yeah, really, other than the sandalwood vanilla influence of the oak, I'm not getting much in the way of non-fruit aromas. 
I get a little of that olive. Just a bit, and then maybe a little bit of, um... There's something floral. Yeah. And none of this is strong. I mean, we're really digging in here to find find these non-fruits. Violets. You know, the one thing I'm sensing on this, though, too, we talked a little bit about the fruit already, but one thing I'm sensing on this is a little sour cherry. Yeah. So there is a little bit, little of that. Sour cherry, sour bilberry, mulberry. Mm-hmm. I mean, it smells very delicious. It just doesn't smell particularly complex. Ready for the palate? I am. Okay. Mmm. Well, lots of fruit, lots of sandalwood. Little bit of tobacco, anise. Which is pretty typical for Wilcox, is that anise character. Lots of fruit. Just a hint of dust. But the fruit and the uh, sandalwood are the two prominent characters. And the fruit really leaps out of the glass. I mean, I wouldn't have expected it from the aroma. Yeah. Because it didn't really smell like there was that much fruit on the aroma. But, oh yeah, ripe. And the interesting thing, it's got both ripe cherries and sour cherries. Yeah, ripe and sour cherries. Uh, mulberry... Bilberry. Mm. There's another fruit in there. There's I'm a gonna... little blackberry in there. Yeah. It's kind of behind the scenes. It's like a big berry party. More black fruit than red fruit. Uh-huh. The exception being the cherry. Yeah. I think when it first hit my palate, I, it was red cherry. It was definitely red cherry. But then as it sits and it takes more sips of the wine as it sits on my palate, the black fruit and the blue fruit start to come out. Totally delicious. It's so interesting too. And again, not particularly complex, but who cares when it's this delicious? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's got that dusty earth that you get from Arizona wines, which is so interesting to me. It's so characteristic. Especially Wilcox. I don't get it as much in Sonoida. There's another character that I normally get in Sonoida that, uh, wines that I'm going to hopefully talk about when we get that one. Uh, but we will see. And what would you pair this with? As before, this is a wine that kind of can stand on its own. It can. It's totally could be a cocktail wine or at most, you know, a cracker or maybe a piece of simple cheese. My immediate thought is actually less in the lines of food. And I want to pair this with a medium-bodied Corojo cigar. <laughs> More than food. Uh, if we're going to do food, I want to do carne asada tacos. That would totally make sense. Oh, that sounds really delicious. With this, yeah. yeah. Because I think that that would work with the spice and the tacos and the meat. And all the fruit. And all the fruit. I think that would be a really, really fantastic, fun combo. Yeah. It's interesting to me that Montepulciano has almost a Merlot kind of balance to it. I, I would have thought it would, I would have thought it was more like Sangiovese, but this particular Montepulciano, because Merlot tends to be basically blue fruit and red fruit with no black. Yeah. And this has a little bit of black fruit, but it's really coming in on the very back end. Yeah. It's really all, it's like a blueberry party. I mean, it's just 
all this blueberry flavor. Yeah, and again, uh, I forgot where I was going to go with that. Shoot. Oh, well. Well, we're really having a little fruit party with this wine. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a, this is a really just, you know, also not heavy tannins either. No, not at all. You know, it's, I would say light to medium tannins. Um, it's not light enough to be a porch pounder. Mm -mm. But it's a, it's definitely something you can have like finger foods with, like especially carne asada tacos. Yeah. I think that this would be a great taco wine. This actually would be a great taco wine. But I could see having it with, um, you know what else it would be really good with? Hmm. Duck with cherry sauce. Ooh. Wouldn't it? Ooh, yeah. I like those, all that fruity flavor, but plus the black fruit would be a nice contrast with the red fruit. You could also, if you wanted to do a Southwestern take on it, do duck with a prickly pear sauce. Ooh, yeah. That would be pretty delicious. And it's got enough of that sour flavor. It would go well with prickly pear sauce. Exactly. Ooh, yummy. We're really having quite the food fest here. I'm wishing had I had all of these, <laughs> honestly. Both. Okay, let's combine both. Let's do... Prickly pear sauce duck tacos. Oh, that sounds really yummy. <laughs> <laughs> I have had duck tacos before, actually, courtesy of Gary, who we had basically a taco mm -hmm. duck Thanksgiving. And honestly, I think a duck taco would be phenomenal with this vintage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> with a crispy shell. Yeah. Just a, mm. oh, that you, sounds really You need yummy. that crunch. <laughs> uh, or barring that, if you're not going to do crunch, then it has to be flour, not corn. Mm -hmm. I don't think the, the texture of corn would work well with this. Yeah, definitely not. Though this is really yummy. Yum, yum, yum. I'm a fan. Yeah. Okay. Ready for the last one? Uh, in a moment. <laughs> you want another sip or two of this one. <laughs> I mean... I'm not going anywhere. I can finish all of mine. <laughs> I don't have to pour anything out. Which is just so terrible. So, so terrible. Megan, by the way, has just messaged and said that she is furious with us, even more so. Oh, yeah? Because multiple Chiano is one of her favorite grapes of all time. Oh! Well, you'll have to take one of the bottles of multiple Chiano and save it for Yeah, her. you'll have to take one of the Barberas then. I'm in. Seems like a fair trade. So, our last multiple Chiano is from the Sonoida AVA. It's a 2013 estate, multiple Chiano, from the Sonoida AVA, uh, from Lightning Ridge Vineyards. Mm -hmm. So Anne Roncone is the winemaker. Why don't you talk a little bit about her while I'm uh, fighting with this bottle? Anne is just such a delightful person, and she runs this winery entirely by herself. And she literally does almost everything by herself. I mean, she has crews come in and kind of help her with certain things. Harvest, chief among them. Hard for one person to do harvest by themselves. 
And um, but she used to be in technology in San Francisco, and she and her husband, I don't know, they cashed out and brought a whole bunch of money with them to Phoenix, and she used it to start this winery. And she's Italian, and she really wanted to be a classic Italian winery. So her first wines were aged for three years before she released them to the market. So she had to plant the grapes, let them get old enough to really produce quality grapes to make wine with, which is like five years old. And then she made her first wines and let those age for another three years. So she was working at this for eight years before she finally brought anything to market. And um, she owns a really darling place in Sonoida, and she owns one of the highest properties in Sonoida. So I think she's at 5,000 feet. Sonoida's between like 4,900 and five, or 4,800 and 5,000 feet. I think hers is the highest property in Sonoida. That makes sense considering that I have heard that uh, she used to have Nebbiolo, but it basically got nuked one year by frost. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was so high. Well, and it's actually, she has fewer problems with frost. I think it's more about when it ripens, you know, ripe, when it first bud break occurs and how late it's harvest. And I think the timing with frost just wasn't working. So she had to kiss goodbye to her Nebbiolo. And it was a kiss because she really loves Nebbiolo. Her Montepulciano does beautifully on this vineyard, though. So we're going to really, I, I think we're going to really enjoy this tasting. She's also planted some really obscure varietals like Chapatino. Who heard of that, right? <laughs> so she's. I don't. Of, I can't even. Is that a red or a white? It's it's a white. So we'll look it up. Let yeah, I'm I'm curious. I don't I think it's a white. We'll look it up. I think it was really actually. We'll look at the books right in front of yeah. me. Yeah, I can look it up right now. <laughs> so I don't think I've ever had a Chappuccino. Well, and it's not old. We only just I helped her plant it. We only just planted it um, like three years ago. So it's only just coming into maybe even two years ago. So it's really like only producing a few grapes every year. So um, we'll see what it's like. Anyway, she's just a wonderful person. It's such a pleasure to go out to her vineyard. And she loves being in the vineyard. She loves making the wine, and she makes excellent wine. But she also loves being in the vineyard. Interesting, she's also part of a tasting group, much like the tasting group I'm in, in Tucson. And some, for one reason or another, she got invited to this tasting group. She's like, okay, well, I'll go. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll go. But they really enjoy having a winemaker's opinion about these wines that they're tasting. So I think it's fun that she's part of that tasting group. And her wines, like I said, are very well made. I've never tasted any of her wines having a flaw on it. I mean, they're all just perfect. That must be it. Oh, forgive me, I was mistaken. The wines tend to be, gosh, it's not saying whether it's a white or a red. It will have under grape color. Actually, the color it's underlined is green. So I'm not sure what that means. So that means it's a white grape. A white grape? Mm -hmm. It's not a light green, though. It's a dark green. So there's light green. I think it's green. red. I think it's, maybe it's just the light. Maybe it's supposed to be dark red. Which one is the underlined? This last dot. Oh, yeah, that's not green. That's dark purple. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Just for some reason, it looked it's just the light that we're in. So, yeah, I was way off on that one. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's all your fault. 
but it's a mid to late ripening um, it has apparently particularly fragile stems so I don't know how that's going to work in Arizona because of our wind but they seem to be kicking along so that's been really fun It's got multiple names. Anyway, those are the kinds of grapes she's planting these days. So this one's gonna be a real treat to taste. You ready? Alrighty. I've already poured some, <laughs> but uh, I didn't pour any in yours. Oh, okay, yeah. so I still have that That's wine. the tumbleweed. Oh, forgive me. <laughs> I was all ready to jump in. I would probably would've said, gee, it just tastes just like the tumbleweed. It's funny. <laughs> that color is very different. You can see right off the bat. Oh my gosh, it looks, it, it, it's not just that, I mean, they're, how far apart in age are they? Five years apart in age, so that's yeah. significant. <clears throat> but also, it's a little bit browner. Much browner. Well, that's probably the age. But it's also and also darker in color. I mean, you can see this cork on the back. It's it's almost black. Much deeper in color. In fact, it's almost opaque. Like I can't see my fingers through the glass. Whereas the other wine, I could see my fingers through the glass. And I wonder if that's the vines are older. Could be also skin contact, too. Could be skin contact. We know that this was on there for nine days. We don't know how long this one was on the skins for. True. Could be longer skin contact. It also could be, it's, so, Sonoida is about 500 feet higher than Wilcox. So it could have something to do with the altitude. I don't know how the altitude would influence, but who knows. More UV. <laughs> More UV, probably heavier grape skins, maybe? Yeah. There is, my a, guess. there is a little bit of sediment, and we just opened the bottle, so it's not the kind of bottom-of-the-bottle sediment. Well, look, if you look at this bottle, look at the top. There's some sediment that is fused to the bottle there. Okay. So it's likely not filtered, or if it is filtered, it's not a, it's like a coarse filter, which I actually think is a fine quality in a wine. <laughs> So it's also prone to sour language. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Definitely oak presence. Heavy oak presence. Yeah, and the fruit is more muted, but then again, it is an older wine. So this is a seven-year-old wine. I'd almost say that this was American oak versus French oak. Because it has a more cedary character than now. Uh, it's got a beautiful character. It's got a lot of red fruit in it, but it's also got a lot of those blue fruits. So similar, very similar to the other two wines. I'm not smelling any sour fruit, but we could smell it on the top. Hold on while it's, the wind is blowing. It's really got kind of a delicate non-fruit profile. really got a beautiful delicate non-fruit profile i get olives again seem to be definitely consistent olives. with all of these olives those fruits you're talking about with the boysenberry i'm sorry not boysenberry the uh sour cherry the bilberry mm -hmm. the mulberry mm -hmm. a little bit of plum and that um oak okay it tastes clean, doesn't taste faulty at all. And I think because of the muted fruit, I think it would be easy to say that this is getting into the aged. Yes. Category of Now, if aged. you snip at the top of the glass, 
versus the bottom, you can just barely get that scent that I associate with Sonoida. In all of their wines, I get citrus peel. Oh, interesting, because this definitely has citrus peel in it. That is really interesting. It's something I've noticed across the board with Sonoida reds and whites and rosés. Um, I have a theory on why this may be, um, but I have no way of proving it. Um, so I have been told that the groundwater in Sonoida is especially rich in boron. Uh, more than Sonoida, I'm sorry, uh, more than Wilcox, more than the Verde Valley. And my theory is that that richness of boron in the groundwater, because you're pumping all of this water out of the ground to water your and irrigate your grapevines, uh, so maybe that boron is getting into the grapevines and the fruit, and that's the, the character of that particular element. That's fascinating. That's my guess. <laughs> I don't know enough chemistry to prove this. Yeah. Um, the person that I would have loved to have actually sat down and proved this with, um, who was a geologist, that it didn't work out relationship-wise years ago. So, you know, womp womp. <laughs> that's a shame, but that's her, really We were actually talking about doing a paper on on this but at the time when we were dating but yeah yeah so of the three this actually smells like it's got a more more complexity at least yeah. just that's what i'm getting on the aroma i mean honestly you know blind tasting i would probably assume that this was based on nose i haven't tasted this yet i would have assumed that this was old world and the others and were the new. others new world yeah i could totally see making making that judgment okay ready for the palette i am Sour fruit. Lots of sourness. That citrus peel is coming through again. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting as much of that olives. Yep. But I am getting bay leaf. And uh, another sort of green herb. And it's on the palate that I would steer away from the old world because it's got higher yeah. alcohol than the other wine. Yeah, this so, is... So this is where I would say, oh, nope, I was mistaken. The nose does taste definitely more old world. I smell more Yeah, this is 15.6. This is bigger than... Pretty big. <laughs> Shit, this is almost 16. This is really big. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> Yeah, that's where I would say, okay, I was wrong. This is this is a new world. Not many old world wines have that high alcohol percentage. Yeah. And I think the complexity comes out more on the nose than it does on the palate. Now, the palate is a little bit simple. But again... It was kind of simple on all the palettes of all three of these. It was. It's not a wine that generally goes complex. It just doesn't. Yeah. But this is, uh, still has, I think, some tannins. Mm-hmm. Uh, my immediate thought is steak with this. Yeah. A, a light steak, like roast beef. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't grill a New York strip with this. No. But, like, roast beef might be really delicious with it. Maybe a really nice, like, roast beef sandwich or a French dip with this actually that would be really delicious a friendship with maybe a little bit of jalapeno and, and blue cheese on there yeah that warm broth 
flavor. Oh, that would really be delicious. I'm also getting some of those dried baked fruits on this, like baked mulberry, um, roasted plum. You know, it's a lot like the second wine we tasted, the Chateau Tumbleweed. It's kind of a fruit party. Yeah, but it's a different level of fruit. Like, these yeah. are older fruits, like, you know, dried fruits and baked some fruits raisins, rather than... Some dried cherries. Versus stuff that you've just plucked straight out of the, yeah. the vine and the tree. It's really got a lot of delicious fruit. It's actually... I actually swallowed it. So, I, I, I haven't been swallowing these because I've got a two-hour drive back to Phoenix, so... <laughs> that sounds like a personal problem. I'm kind of trying to behave myself with that. <laughs> and, you know, usually I get a really pretty good sense of the wine without even swallowing it just by swishing it around in my palate but this wine I felt like I wanted to swallow it so I did I'm really glad I did it's got a lot more complexity when you swallow it mm -hmm. so I think the complexity is sort of hidden in the wine it's not it does it's not a leap off the palate kind of complexity yeah. and um it's got a lot more flavor when you swallow it too like oh boy that's a that's another berry party yeah <laughs> so it's really a delicious wine I think we totally scored on this tasting. Yeah. Well, shall I give Megan a call and ask what she thinks Absolutely, of the labels? Absolutely, yeah. All well, right. she'll have fun with these, I think. Give me a second here. Well, hello again. Why, hello. So, uh, what do you think of the multiple Chiana labels? even though you're pissed off at us for not sharing. Uh, but I did manage to convince Elizabeth to let me have uh, a bottle or two to give to you. So. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. It's not necessary. I'm just being a brat. <laughs> Especially, though, I'm not going to lie, I'm, I'm exceptionally jealous of that first one because not only was I sad that, you know, Montepulciano, but that label is fucking gorgeous. <laughs> what do you like about it? I just, I don't know. It's just, it's very, it's just pretty. You know, like, I like the, the flowers, you know, but they don't, it's, they're pretty, but they're not overly busy, you know, because they kind of blocked out that bit with the, you know, the black box, um, you know, but I like that. I don't know. I just, I really like the, the, the design of it. And then we've got these little, it's really hard to tell from the picture. I think it's supposed to be like little vines coming through it, you know, and they're like kind of feeding off the, the flowers. It looks like they're kind mm. of like oozing off the flower. I don't know. It's really neat looking. Um, that font is at, like the, the, the Barba font is absolutely gorgeous. Like I love all of this. Well, so. guess what? I happen to have another bottle sitting in my wine refrigerator at home. Really? And if we can, <laughs> if we can bear Cody to part with it, <laughs> yeah, I can get this to you. <laughs> he'll get somehow. His, he'll get what's left, and there's a lot left of this bottle to her, to you. Oh, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I you had texted uh, us like, Jesus Christ, how much are you guys drinking? And it's like we're really only having a glass each of the of each, and. Uh, Elizabeth is not swallowing because she has a two-hour drive. Um, yeah, wow. I'm just like, good lord! Like you—that's what, like six or seven bottles now, if not six. more. Six. Six. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> oh, that's impressive. 
I mean, even for a glass of each one, like, I mean, I guess if they're lighter glasses. Well, to be fair, she's having light glasses and pouring out most. Yeah. I am yeah. not, but I well, only I have to go down one set of stairs, so. Whereas I have two hours I'll to be... get home, so. <laughs> so, and I have yeah, to tell that's... you, I did swallow the Montepulciano, the la especially the last one, because I just want to kind of understand it better. I'm so glad I did. These are so delicious. Yeah. All three of them are over-the-top delicious. So what do you think nice. of the tumbleweed label? Um, you know, I have a, a very deep respect and appreciation for their labels. Um, I really like how unique they are. I've always thought that was fun. However, they always creep me out a bit. <laughs> so why is that? I just, the, the whole tumbleweed in place of things like i get it i do i think it's great like i think that the, whoever their artist was whoever came up with this idea is a genius it's awesome it's well, that would so, be like, chris potier by the way okay so it's like i don't think i've ever actually met him but her her sorry um you know they're, they're keep just, digging that hole super... megan <laughs> what keep digging that hole megan i mean whatever <laughs> I don't know anybody, really, honestly. I don't I don't go anywhere. Um, no, I don't know. I, I think they're great, but it just, it's weird to me. I don't know. But like I said, I still, I've, I greatly appreciate them. I think the, the creativity on them is excellent. Um, and I also, I love the font. I really do. The that font is, is so much fun, and I feel like all the fonts work together. Like, there's several different ones, but they work, and all the colors look nice. Like, there's nothing... Yeah, no, there's... there's. I always appreciate their labels. Um, so, yeah. And what about the Lightning Ridge, that very last one? Um... Hmm, I don't like shiny labels. Okay. Um, there's... <laughs> There's something about them that frustrates me. Um, I, I feel like they lose a certain level of something. I'm not really sure. I just, I don't, I don't care for it. You know, so if this was on like a matte look, you know, I would like it a bit better. Um, I don't know. It doesn't jump out to me. Like, I don't dislike it, but it's, you know, I think that the picture's nice. Um, I just, I feel like I don't know. I almost want. I'm not really sure. I'm not sure what it is, but I almost like. I almost want the the. I'm guessing that the top, you know, was supposed to have kind of like a sunset colory vibe to it, but I almost wish that that was a little less colorful. Like you know, the color behind the name and then the you know at the top and at the bottom. I almost feel like you wish that that maybe wasn't there, you know, and it was just something else so that it kind of made the image pop a little bit more. Okay. I think. I don't know. Like a light blue but, or something, like a sky blue. Yeah, or, you know, or even, yeah, something like that, just something a little, you know, something that that maybe brought out some of the other colors that are in it instead of it just, you know, it feels very solid around the edges, but it's still a bright color that I just, I don't know, I feel like it kind of, it does something weird for me. Um but like I said, that also might just be the, the glossiness because I just that that always bugs me with when they're 
when the, when the labels are glossy. I don't know. Any other thoughts? Why do you like multiple Chiano so much? I don't know. I just, you know, it's one of those ones that I feel like every time I've had one, it just makes me happy. Um, it's, it's just, it's been a, I feel like it's been a while since I've gotten to have one too. Um, but I just feel like it's one of those wines where, yeah, like I, I, I almost, it's all, it's very rare that I get one that I don't enjoy. Granted, I mean, I mostly get them from Italy and I just love most everything that comes from Italy, except one of the ones that starts with a V. I can never remember if it's Vernaccia or Verdicchio. One of those I, I don't I'm thinking, I'm thinking Verdicchio. No, I'm yeah. thinking Vernaccia because that's the one I don't like either. Oh, okay. Because like, I I've, because three out of the four bottles I've had of Vernaccia have been corked, and the fourth was just oh. kind of eh. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's weird about those, but yeah, I don't know what it is about Montepulciano. I'd have to well, I'd have to be there to try one. Um, yeah. uh, well, I think what you described is, uh, and that's kind of what I was tasting when we tasted all three of these. They all have, they were all like just a berry party. There was so much fruit in them, and it was really fun to drink. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But I feel like they're not, I'm just trying to remember, because um, uh, I feel like they're still, like, even though you get a lot of berry flavor, it's not that, like, super fruit forward, you know, too terribly heavy i still feel like they have a nice dryness that you know just makes you want cheese yeah <laughs> that's a really good description like all three of these we felt like they didn't really have to be paired with anything usually i taste wine and i'm automatically thinking oh you know roast beef or you know light fish or something but these i was like hmm i just drink them <laughs> yeah right and I love a wine like that. Like, I think it's great when you can have one that, yeah, you can pair it with something and that would make it excellent, but it's already great on its own. Yeah. You know, it's so hard when you get a bottle and you don't have the right food with it and it really needs food. You know, that's so depressing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so having that balance is really nice. But, uh, oh, is there actually a little lightning bolt on the, oh, there is. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Yes, there is. That would be the yep. Lightning Ridge. Yep. I just, I, in the, the way the picture looks for me, I couldn't see it on the front label, but I can see it on the back one. It is there on the back. front. It, it, yeah. Well, now I, now I can see it because I, I zoomed out a little bit, but the picture, the way I had it was zoomed in just to the point where I couldn't see that section of the label. But when I look at the back, I can. Interesting. Ah. <sighs> So how was I digging myself into a hole? Are the are the label designers there with you? Is that what this is? No, no, no. Um, <laughs> because I, I was making a joke about you saying first, uh, I don't know who does it, and then I said Chris, and then, oh, well, I've never met him. And then it's like, it's a her. <laughs> well, and she's beautiful. She's darling. Chris, she's just a wonderful Christmas. person. What? She's beautiful, too. <laughs> I've heard I've seen pictures, and I think... I... I know I've met, I feel like I've met most of the, the, the Chateau Tumbleweed group at, at like festivals, but it's been very sporadic and I don't, I'm never sure. I don't know anymore. Well, and then I don't get out. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys are enjoying everything. It sounds like fun. Yeah. I mean, I'm biased, I but yeah. <laughs> yeah, well. I've got some Chateau Tumbleweed Malbec I'm about to 
dive back into. So nice. That. Yeah. Free free gifts from Eden because she loves me. Aww. <laughs> well, on that spoiled. note, enjoy your Malbec. Thank you. You guys enjoy the Montepulciano. I will try to get this bottle to you tomorrow uh, after work. Unless okay, you cool. want me to come by at like 6.30 in the morning and drop off the bottle on my I'll way to work. I'll pro well, I'll be up if you feel like it, but if you don't have time, that's that's totally fine. Yeah, if, if I don't have time coming into work tomorrow, I'll, uh, I'll bring it tomorrow. Uh, I'll bring it after work tomorrow. Okay. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Oakley doakley. All right, you guys have a good rest of your night. We will do our best. You too. Hope I get right. to meet you someday. Yeah, absolutely. Next <laughs> time he does a podcast. <laughs> All right, bye guys. Bye. bye. Well, on that note, I think we've actually covered pretty much everything we can think of about Montepulciano. Um, it was really fun to taste these, uh, taste two wines in the same tasting. So. Um, I know that this is going to be um, published separately, but it was a blast to taste two wines in the same day. So yeah. we tasted the Barbera earlier, and then we tasted the Montepulciano, and they're both similar in the sense that they're both sort of like grapes that not a lot of people have heard of. And they're both from Italy. But they're both really important grapes. <laughs> a lot of those, these, a lot of these get put into wines that we all taste so we've probably all tasted one we didn't know we were tasting it because they were in the background but they're there and um it was really a treat to taste both the new world version and the old world version of these wines which of these three was your favorite it's actually the barbara the uh, not the barbara forgive me the Montepulciano that we're going to give to that's the one I would have taken home myself. But I already have a bottle, yeah. so there's sort of silly for me to take okay. everyone home. I think my <laughs> favorite is probably the tumbleweed, actually. Yeah? Um, that, that combo of juicy fruit and just the idea of wanting to pair it with carne asada tacos. Yeah. Or, no, we decided the duck tacos. That's right. Yeah, I think that that's just such a fun pairing idea, and I just wish that uh, I could get duck in a day or two and have the time to cook it and make it that way. I just don't. <laughs> Because um, that'd be really fun to try. So I also really like, well, I really liked all three of the Montepulcianos, and for different reasons. I like the freshness of the Chateau Tumbleweed and the um, the complexity, the non-fruit flavors on the Italian Montepulciano. And I like just the deep richness of the Lightning Ridge Montepulciano. It just tasted so good on the palate. Oh, yum. Well, gang, until next time. Uh... This has been the Make America Grape Again podcast, and we're going to make America grape again. That was a horrible tap. we got to try that again. That's what she said. <laughs> this was an episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast, sponsored, produced, and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona wine monk. You can reach us at makeamericagrapepodcast at gmail.com on Instagram at, at the AZ Wine Monk, or on Twitter at CV Burkett. Be sure to also check out our website, MakeAmericaGreatAgainPodcast.com. I am Elizabeth Krecker with the fabulous photographer Janelle Bonifield. I am writer of the soon-to-be-published Arizona Wine, the vineyards, wineries, and winemakers of the Grand Canyon State. You can find out more about my travels in the wine world at GrapeExploration.com.
Cheers, guys.